You are listening to the Hill Country Bible Church podcast. To learn more about Hill Country Bible Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at hcbc.com. Please enjoy today's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm the pastors on staff. So glad you're spending uh, part of your day with us, uh, wherever that might be. Um, as we get going, I have a quick question for you. Um, does your company have a mission statement? And I guess maybe the harder question is, if your boss asks you on Tuesday morning, could you recite it? No mumbling. Um, it's interesting. Over the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years, it seems like every organization, whether it's a uh, school, a team, a for-profit, not-for-profit, like the leadership got together, got in a room and said, okay, here's who we're going to be. This is our statement of our purpose, our mission. And um, they sort of rolling those out. Some get on a plaque and a wall and like dust, others vibrantly a part of what they do. Why? Well, it's obvious. It's, it's nice to know when you're organizing a group of people, like where are we going? What's our goal? What's our purpose? What's this all about? I don't know about you, but there's nothing more pointless than doing something that doesn't have a point. Um, so I was thinking about mission statements. I said, you know what? I wonder what some of the mission statements are, some of the companies, organizations that you and I know. So like, for instance, this company, um, big into orchards, I think, is what they're, they're big into. Now, and, I, before, and this is what I did. Before I went to the website and, and found the mission statement, what I did is I tried to think of, like, what do I think it would be? Like, when I go to Apple, you know, like, what, what do I think I'm going to find when I get there? And so this is what I came up with. Apple exists to make great technology that's sleek and elegant and costs more than your monthly mortgage payment. That's... I said, oh, it's not just me, huh? Um, no, actually, when you go to Apple, um, this is what you'll find there, as they articulate it. They exist to bring the best user experience to its customers through its innovative hardware, software, and services. Like, yeah, that makes sense. I love my iPhone, and I'm never changing ever. Um, how about this organization? Um, I'm a fan of said organization, against my better judgment, and um, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the Cowboys website, and I'm going to look for their um, mission statement. What am I going to find? Here's what I came up with. To crush the hopes and dreams of fans every fall. Yeah, yeah. Does that hit a little too close to home? You're like, why are you depressing me in July? The season hasn't even started. So I go to the Dallas Cowboys website, and here's what I find. Nothing. <laughs> You're bright people. Do you think there might be a linkage, the fact that there's nothing, and then that's what we have to deal with? I put it to Jerry, if you're watching. Would you please get your boys together, come up with a mission statement? Might keep us from all of that. Um, or how about this organization? I thought, hmm, Chick-fil-A. What's Chick-fil-A's mission statement? Here's what I came up with. To make a great chicken sandwich with pleasure. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's good. That's good. Nah, when you go to Chick-fil-A's website, here's what you'll find. They exist to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. To have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry they're not open today. Um, you already knew that. 
But sometimes you find out when you're in the drive-thru and there's no one there on a Sunday, and you're like, oh, it's Sunday. But what I love about um, their um, mission statement is it doesn't list chicken. And yet this is everything about it. It might surprise you. You know Jesus had a mission statement? Do you know that when Jesus was here, would it surprise you that on various occasions, like he articulated, like, here's why I'm here. Here's why I've come. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. And the most succinct time he said that is in Luke 19.10. Here's what Jesus said. He said, for the son of man, it's his favorite term when referring to himself. Why'd you come, Jesus? Well, I came to seek and to save the lost, that I came on a rescue mission. I left heaven, I came to earth, and I came seeking people. What kind of people, Jesus, did you come to seek? Lost people. Not lost, obviously, geographically, but those who have lost their way to God. Those who are far from the Father. Jesus said, I have come to seek those people, and I'm going to find them, and I'm going to bring them back. Now, just follow me. If you and I would say, I am today a follower of Jesus, would it not make sense that the goal he is after, the direction he is headed, would not also be my direction? Right? If I'm following him and the place that he is going to seek and to save the lost, would it not make sense that whatever Jesus' mission is, that's my mission too? That applies not only individually, but that applies corporately as all the Jesus followers in a location get together and say, we're going to do that together. You can say it this way, as Jesus, so me, and as Jesus, so his church. And so what we've done at Hill Country, what our leadership has done is we've crafted a mission statement on the basis of what Jesus says in places like Luke 19 and others. And here's how we articulate it. That we at Hill Country, Hill Country Bible Church, why are you here? We exist so that each of us together go out saturating greater Austin with the love of Jesus. And you'll notice it starts off, each of us, everyone gets to play. Everyone has a part. There is no one who just rides the bench. You have gifts. You have talents. The Holy Spirit's in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And you are to employ those, not singularly by yourself, but together. Because although we have individual responsibility, we have collective activity that we do one with another. And what are we doing? We're saturating greater Austin. We are out what Jesus came to seek. We are out saturating the city with what? Jesus' love. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought himself, obviously, he was loving. What we want to do is because we have been bought by him, that we are out loving those who we get to rub shoulders with and work alongside and share a fence with that you and I, each of us together, are saturating greater Austin with the love of Jesus. That's our mission. And what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to camp out there. Why? Because it's important that we come back to, okay, why are we here? That every so often we kind of get our footing again with all the things that are going on and say, okay, this is what we're about. We're recommitting to it, and that's what we're going to be and do. And let me just ask you, if, if you are one of those folks who has made Hill Country home in the past two years, so like I'm thinking like since the pandemic, like in the past two years, since May of 2020, when we were able to uh, reopen, 
If you made Hill Country your home, can I ask you a favor, please? You're not going to want to do it, but just humor me. Humor me. If that's you, would you raise your hand and keep it up? If you're at Steiner Ranch, would you raise your hand if over the past two years you made Hill Country your home? Welcome to the team. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here this morning so that we unpack, like, okay, here's what we're about. You've joined this team. This is what we're going after. This is where you're going to use your gifts. This is how we're going after the city for Jesus. And also, maybe you're here and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus. You're not really sure about faith. You're not sure about this church thing. I think this is a great Sunday for you to be here as well. Why? Because hopefully we're going to cut through some misconceptions about, well, okay, so what is this church thing about? What are you to do? I have some thoughts and ideas about that. Many of them may not be good. But you're here this morning so that you can possibly join this mission with us. So if you've been here the past few weeks, we've been uh, in a series, Summer in the Psalms. We're not doing a psalm. We're going to be in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up psalms next week. In Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. And what we're going to look at is, okay, Jesus, what would it look like to live out this mission statement? Like it's one thing to have the words on a wall or have the words on a screen and to know them. But it's another thing, hey, can you show me? Can you give me a picture of what that looks like lived out? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 2. And the first thing that we're going to see Jesus do is that as he and as we live out our mission, we meet people where they are. That as you and I get going, as you and I take steps and going, okay, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm following you. Where you're going, I'm going. We're going to meet people where they are. So Mark chapter 2, again, starting in verse 13. It says, once again, <clears throat> Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. A couple things to note as we get going in the text. <clears throat> First two words, once again, and then Jesus is out by the lake teaching. We know from the previous uh, passages that Jesus is in the town of Capernaum. Think Sea of Galilee, modern-day Israel, the northwest corner. Capernaum's a fisherman, uh, fishing town right on the coast there. Jesus is teaching by the lake. It also says in chapter 1 that the word had gotten out about Jesus, so much so that this new preacher, healer, um, person who could cast out demons, the buzz is out. So much so that Jesus, and we don't have, a, we don't, can't tell if this is like the very first time they ever met, but as far as the text indicates, it's the first time like Levi and Jesus, but Levi knows he's heard the rumors. He's somewhat intrigued so much though that the first time Jesus comes up and says, hey, Levi, follow me, he follows, which makes some sense if Levi's already intrigued because what does he do? He leaves his livelihood. He leaves his business. He leaves his life behind, leaves it all, closes up shop, as it were, and follows Jesus out the door. At the invitation of Jesus, who's out seeking and saving the lost on mission, Levi follows. And you'll also notice another key descriptor of Levi. What is it? Where is he? The tax collector's booth. Right? Um, anyone in here like to pay taxes? 
Yeah, me neither. Um, anyone like to get that, those love letters from the Internal Revenue Service? Hi, just wanted to check in, see how you're doing. Like anyone else's blood pressure goes up when you see that come? Yeah, in the first century, like today, um, <clears throat> IRS agents aren't the most popular, right? If you are, I'm glad you're here, glad you're doing your job. Um, get the bad guys. Um, in the first century, here's how it worked. Obviously, the Romans are in charge of the Mediterranean region, and they've cut it up into little sections, and they put what's called a publican over each region. And what the publican did is he hired tax collectors in every town and along the byways and highways of the day, and they would collect taxes. And don't think like an IRS agent doing audits. Think more in terms of like a customs agent or a toll collector. Like as commerce is happening, you got to pass by the tax collector's booth and chip in. And here's what they would do. The publican would say, tax collector, you owe me so much money, whether it be every quarter, every month, every year. And that tax collector, as soon as he reached that amount, he paid, the, um, he paid his boss, paid the Romans, and then everything above that was profit. And so not only was Levi a traitor to his people, but because of the way the system was set up, he is literally committing fraud on the regular. And so how do you think the Jewish people feel about tax collectors? Well, I'll tell you what they did. They wouldn't let them participate in civic life. You couldn't be a judge. You couldn't be a witness. You couldn't participate in just the day-to-day -day happenings of Jewish life. In addition, when comes Saturday and it's time to go to the synagogue, you weren't welcome. You lying, cheating, traitorous tax collector. You can't go to church. And it gets worse than that. Because in a shame-based culture, what Levi did affected all those around him. So let me put it this way. Parents, parents, do you like talking about your kids? Ah, our son made the all-star team. Ah, our daughter's valedictorian. Ah, my son just got promoted at work. Ah, my daughter's going to have her first grandkid. Do you like to talk about your kids? Levi's parents didn't. Levi's parents, when they would go to dinner parties, would pray that no one asked them about Levi. Because it was shameful. They never talked about Levi. In fact, Levi wasn't invited to dinner. He wasn't invited to holidays. Why? Because you're the family. You don't want your neighbors seeing your tax collector's son coming in the front door. And likely in this scenario... As it's playing out, this is also personal. What I mean is they're in Capernaum. That's also the hometown of four guys that Jesus has also already called to follow him. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. They were fishermen. It's likely, we can't say with like 100% certainty, but it's likely that those four guys already paid taxes to this guy. So how do you think they feel? They watch Jesus walk up to this tax booth and like, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, get him, Jesus. Let him have it. And they're like, what did he say? He said, follow what? What's Jesus doing? He's on mission. Why? Because he is seeking and saving the lost. Why? Levi's lost. Levi is so far away from where he's supposed to be. 
His name, you may have caught it already, it's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. His name literally means belonging to God. And he is so far away from that. Have you ever been in a position where you're like, how did I end up here? For Levi, that's par excellence where he ended up. But what is Jesus doing? He is meeting Levi where he is. Why? Because one, no one else did. They came up to Levi to put a finger in his chest or to pay him and say some choice words maybe. But Jesus said, I'm going to build a bridge. I am going to meet you where you are because there's no way Levi is going to meet Jesus where he is. Why? Because on the process of seeing people change, on the process of having people take a step from wherever they are toward Jesus, often, if not every time, someone has to reach them first, not stand over there. And when you change, you can come. I found a great quote. It's by Kerry Newhoff. Uh, pastor, author, he said it this way. He said, very few people get judged into life change. Most people get loved into it. And what Jesus is doing, he says, this is Levi, I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to come to your booth and I'm going to call you to follow me. And Jesus asks us to do the same thing. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's hard. Like, do you struggle sometimes when the person's politics are different from you, when their lifestyle is different from you, from the way they talk and act, when all of that is different from you? Do you have a difficult time meeting them where they are? Man, I do at times. I'll give you an example. I get out of the military and I move my family to Dallas. We're going to do Dallas Seminary. My wife and I, we have two kids at a time. They're little, littles. We're meeting our neighbors, you know, been there two, three, four weeks or so, meeting everyone. And then finally, the neighbors actually directly across the street from us, we're out front. They're out front. We say, hey, how are you? Like, we're starting to talk. And it uh, uh, turns out it's a grandma and a mom and then their 10-year-old kid. At least I thought it was 10 years old. The kid was actually four, but like 10, like, <laughs> like, have you met those toddlers? Like, I pulled them aside. I said, hey, look. When you get older, I need, to, I need you to go talk to Jerry and tell him to not do the mission statement thing. No, but we're talking, and um, we're, we come from two different worlds. Let me put it that way, right? We don't have the same background. We don't have the same life experiences. We have different values. It's, it's obvious. There's not a lot in common. It's friendly. It's cordial. We're having a nice conversation. And as we're doing it, my new neighbor four-year-old linebacker drops a four-letter expletive. I hear it. Mom and grandma hear it. They're like, whoa, they're apologetic. We're like, hey, no big deal. But here's what I did internally. I don't think I'm going to let my kids hang out with that kid. Here's what's going to happen, right? You and I, if we're going to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to meet people where they are. Right? We're going to end up in positions where it's like, ooh, I don't know if you're the person I'm supposed to meet where you are. <laughs> and let me just take a little air out of the room on that. Okay, remember, we are following Jesus. He is leading us, and he will guide us to those people that he wants us to build that bridge, to meet where they're at. In fact, when you read the Gospels, how many tax collectors does Jesus call to follow him that we know of? Two. 
The other guy's name is Zacchaeus. He's in Luke 19. Jesus didn't stop at every tax booth, follow me, follow me, like in every town. He may have, we don't know, but there were two. We aren't under an obligation to like every person, you have to meet them where they are. No, the ones Jesus is leading you to, those are the ones. And in addition, here's what Jesus is modeling for us. Just, just not have a, an already decided, okay, if they meet this criteria, boom, 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 then I'll reach out. If they, if they don't, then I'm not. Just take the criteria, put it away, and if he leads you, go. Right? Let me ask you, are there neighbors of yours who have yard signs that you disagree with? I do. Do you have coworkers who make comments or post comments that you vehemently disagree with? I don't. I work on church staff. So, <laughs> um, I did in the Marine Corps, I'll tell you that much. Like, that's going to happen. And in the moment, like if you're on mission with Jesus, like you and I, if we're going to saturate the city, we're going to have to, like with Jesus in that moment, is this a person that I meet where they're at? And let Jesus guide you. Let Jesus lead you. He will. And let me just give you this as a picture and an idea, right? So back to your neighborhood, the person with the sign, okay? Do you do this? Hey, hey, Bob. See you later. Right? In essence, what we do is like, hey, uh, I'm acknowledging you, but I'm not going to engage with you. What if, if you feel Jesus leading to you, it goes, hey, Bob. And that becomes the posture. What if, as Jesus leads you and I to say, Would you just meet them where they are. Just meet them where they are, what he might do. As we're watching Jesus in Mark, that's the first place he goes. He goes right to Levi's tax booth. And the next thing he does is he's going to go to a party. Why? Because to live out our mission, we build relationships around a table. That one of the best places to truly get to know people and really big, uh, be able to have conversation and build relationship is around a table. Look back at the text. Look at uh, verse 15. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? A couple things. The first thing we see, or actually we don't see, is that Jesus doesn't pull like Levi aside. He's like, all right, Levi, follow me. And then he's like, all right, listen, you know you messed up, right? You know you haven't been living right. You're on the discipleship probation program for the first six months. And when you, no, right? Here's what I find amazing. The, the, how quickly the story turns from the tax booth to Levi's house. And it's a party at Levi's with Levi's friends question, how did Levi's friends get there? Who do you think invited them? Oh, I think this is amazing. As soon as Levi starts to follow Jesus, he turns into the inviter. Jesus is on mission seeking and saving the lost. And what does Levi immediately do? 
I want to get Jesus in front of my friends. Isn't that amazing? But Mark also highlights a couple things that we need to catch. And it's the things he repeats four times and three times in the text. You caught it. Four times he either talks about dinner or eating all through those two passages or those two verses. Why? Because you don't eat with these people. That's not what you do. And who are these people? Three times it's repeated, tax collectors and sinners, or sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because good people know you don't associate with those kinds of people, particularly around a table. And what Jesus is showing is, hey, this is the perfect place. Levi, grab your friends. Let's have dinner together. Why? To build relationship, to be on mission. Jesus is like, I have come to seek and to save in the lost, and that's what I'm doing. The other thing we see is not everyone's happy about what's going on, right? Because there's the Pharisees, all folded, armed, angry, scowling. You don't do that. Why? Well, because the Pharisees are the religious rule keepers. They're the ones who are like, if you want to do what God wants, if you want to please God, then you're going to have to do this. Don't do that. They took the Ten Commandments, right? Ten. There are only ten. How many did they come up with? 613. And then they had books with addendums to the addendums so you could have the rule and the rule and the rule under the rule about all the different places where you followed the rule or didn't follow the rule. Why? Because in the Pharisees' mind, as they sit there scowling, there's two kinds of people in the world, those who are clean and those who are unclean. The clean people are the good people. The clean people are those who do what God likes. The clean people are the ones who don't do what those other people like, those unclean tax collectors and sinners. So what they did, instead of building relationships, they built separation. Because when the clean get in contact with the unclean, the unclean make the clean unclean. Is that clear? <laughs> and what I, what I think the Pharisees are doing is showing what a lot of people think God does. And he's like, yeah, when you get your act together, yeah, maybe we can have a conversation then. Yeah, when you start living right, yeah, maybe we can have a conversation there. But who's at the dinner? God's at the dinner. And I can imagine Jesus sitting there, and he doesn't have a scowl on his face. I think he's actually having fun. I think he's enjoying the company. I also think he's inviting them, like he invited Levi, to maybe consider a different way. Like Jesus was often apt to do is ask a question that gets people to think in ways that they aren't thinking. Why? Because there is a world of difference between invitation and affirmation. Is Jesus affirming their lifestyle? No. Is Jesus inviting them on a journey? Yes. Is Jesus affirming their behavior? No. Is Jesus inviting them to consider a different way? Yes. And what we do when we get in that place where we have our own checklist, like, well, I'll build relationship with you if you get your politics in order, if you get your lifestyle in order, if you clean up your language and you do all those things, then I'll build a relationship with you. And in those moments, we're acting just like the Pharisees. And what Jesus says is, hey, I'm not condoning anything. I'm inviting you to consider something. Why? Here's what I love. Levi never goes back to being a tax collector. Why? He gets with Jesus and he's changed. He's changed.
came across this story. The lady is Rosaria Butterfield. At the time, she's a uh, university professor at Syracuse in upstate New York. She says this, When I started writing my post-tenure book, it was on the religious right and the people they supposedly hated like me. She's a homosexual at the time. She says, I got to know my neighbor, Ken Smith, who was also a conservative Presbyterian pastor. And what was striking was that his home looked a lot like my home. Among my circles in New York in the 90s during the AIDS crisis, somebody's home was open every night of the week. There was a lot going on. The community had to gather together, and not by invitation only because this was a crisis. This was an emergency, and we called ourselves family. I thought that was unique to the gay community, but it wasn't because Ken Smith's community was like this too. Ken's Christian community gathered at his house at all hours. I learned this because he invited me in. For two years, I was loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I mocked, despised, and rejected. I accepted them when it worked for me and rejected them all other times. There is simply no way I would have walked into a church if I hadn't had a genuine friendship with the man behind the pulpit. For two years, I was part of Ken and Floyd Smith's ministry. I met with them once a week. At their home, the door was wide open. People always in and out of the house. People from church, people not from church. Heated, genuine conversation would happen. People would speak honestly and tears would flow. But it was different because Ken would open the Bible and sing from the Psalms. And then he would pray. It was so disarming, I couldn't help but go back. And she ends her testimony this way. It was in this context of hospitality that Ken brought the church to me. Because it was impossible for me to get to the church without the bridge of someone's home. If you want to have strong conversations, you have to build relationships. If you and I want to have conversations, strong conversations, about things like right and wrong and heaven and eternity and Jesus and the gospel, what do we need to do first? We need to build relationships. Now, I don't know about you, but does this come easy to you? Like my inner introvert lawyer stands up right now and be like, whew, good thing I'm introverted. All y'all extroverts, you can have a party and have those people. Like, Here's what I find amazing about the story. Who was also in the room besides Jesus, tax collectors, and sinners? What does the text say? His disciples, many of them followed him. Why? Because Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to show you the kind of behavior I want you to emulate. I don't expect you to get this, like go from zero to 60 in 0.5 seconds. Come with me. Learn from me. Follow me. He is just as kind to the tax collectors and sinners as he is to his own disciples. So here's an idea. It's Fourth of July weekend. Are you having a party tomorrow? Are you going to see fireworks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if? 
Like, hey, we're going to go catch uh, fireworks at Melbourne. You want to come? Hey, we're, we're grilling some hot dogs and burgers at three. Love to have you. And whatever face, whatever name that the Holy Spirit brings to mind, you just shoot them a text. Hey, you want to come? And what would it look like to get some more people around the table tomorrow? To be on mission. Saturating, the, saturating where you live with Jesus' love. Inviting them to maybe a conversation that they weren't expecting to have. As Jesus goes out, he meets Levi. He says, hey, I'm going to meet you where you are. And then I'm going to build a relationship around the table. And then this is where he finishes. And what he shows us is to live out our mission, we bring Jesus to people. That to live out our mission, we bring Jesus to people. Look at what he says in uh, verse 17. On this, excuse me, on hearing this, Jesus said to them. So the Pharisees asked their question of the disciples. Jesus is obviously close enough to overhear it. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to address you guys directly. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you know what? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees are standing there and they're like, you know what? You don't do this. And Jesus is like, you know what I do? I actually come for people like this. And what I love about the interchange is Jesus doesn't use judicial language. He's not talking about guilt and pardon and judgment. What is he using? He's using medical language. It's not bad people who need to be punished. It's sick people that need to be made healthy. And what I love and what the Pharisees miss is what is he says? You know what? I haven't come for righteous people. Who thinks they're righteous? The Pharisees. Who's actually righteous in the room? Just Jesus. Why? Because the Pharisees missed, like in their, all their study of the Old Testament, places like Psalm 14 where it says, you know who seeks after God? Nobody. You know who's righteous? No one. And the Pharisees still walked away like, I'm a pretty good person. And because of that, they missed the healing that's available. But Jesus says, you know the people that you want to cast off? That's who I've come for. That's who I've come to seek and save. And Jesus says to you and he says to me, would you just bring me to them? I'm not the doctor. I'm not the healer. Neither are you. But we know who he is. And what we're doing as we head out into the city and as we head out to where we live, work, learn, and play, we're just bringing Jesus along. And say, hey, would you like to meet someone who changed my life? That's what it looks like to saturate a city. And we got to do it this week as a church family as we sent out over 300 students on 62 teams with 91 adult drivers as a part of boot camp. Why? To take Jesus to people, to take the gospel to people. And instead of me trying to explain all the things they did, why don't we watch what they did together? That's why you're at boot camp, to show a love that knows no end, reaches to the highest mountain, flows through the lowest valley. You know what can separate me from him? Nothing! Being able to see the church come together with such community, and then being able to spread that to Greater Austin, I, I, I find such joy in that. Oh,
You take your one life and make an impact, and it's going to ripple out and make a huge impact for the kingdom. Our calling is to share the love of Jesus with Greater Austin, and this is one of the ways that we do that. We, it's amazing to be a part of that and to share the gospel, that everyone can be saved just by accepting Christ and believing in Him. Being here and loving on these kids, it really makes a difference. I know that even now that I, this is my last year, I still remember a lot of the leaders when I was younger and how much they impacted my life. And just, I remember just how much they loved and cared. If you were one of those students or if you were one of those adult drivers, thank you. You are doing it. You are saturating this city with the love of Jesus. So proud of you guys. But we're also going to do it in eight days. We're going to do it in our neighborhoods where we live. So if you have yet to sign up to be a host or a driver, here's my challenge. Go to hcbc.com GA, and we will send a student team to your house to bring Jesus to your street and the kids and families in your neighborhood, both hosts and drivers, here on uh, July 11th, a week, from, uh, a week from tomorrow. But that's not all we're doing. Because we're also here on August 21st, we are going to relaunch one of our locations that we had to shut down because we lost our space in COVID. So on August 21st, we're going to relaunch our Leander location, and we're going to relaunch Round Rock as soon as we possibly can when we find space there. But if you have an address that sounds a lot like Leander, Maybe that's what God is calling you to. Why, Eric? Why does Hill Country multiply locations to get Jesus to people? We are not going to sit back and wait for them to come to us. We are going to go to them. Why? He came to seek and save the lost. Right? So if that's you, would you please pray about, hey, that's where I live, and I want to bring Jesus to people. It's also why over the past um, well, years, we've planted 40, but in this year, we planted two more churches. Why? We're bringing Jesus to people. That's what we get to do. That's what you and I are called to do. It wasn't a tax booth that Jesus found you in, but he found you somewhere. And he says, will you turn around and then go to all the other people that are in your life and say, hey, can, you, can I introduce you to a guy who changed everything about me? The life that you and I want to live, the life that Jesus is calling us to, is to find all the next generations of Levi's in your neighborhood where you work, where I live, such that we can say, hey, would you like to follow him too? That's the mission. That's what we get to do, and that's what we're going to go after. Last story. It's World War II, rebuilding after the war. There's a cathedral that's in England that's been bombed, heavily damaged. There's a group of German students that are there helping to rebuild, 
and they find a statue in the rubble. And when they clean off the rubble and get the statue back upright, they notice a couple things. First, they notice the plaque at the bottom says, come unto me. And then the next thing they notice is that the statue is damaged. It doesn't have any hands. And so the church leadership, they're looking at the situation like, okay, how can we reform the hands? How can we reattach them to the statue? And they can't come up with a good solution. So this is what they decide. Instead of trying to fix the hands, what they decided to do was fix the plaque. And they changed the plaque to sit from saying, come unto me, to Christ has no hands but ours. He has no hands but ours. Jesus has no hands but ours. And he invites us every day, right where we are, to maybe build a bridge, meet a person where they are, maybe to have a relationship around a, a table, and to bring Jesus to people. That's why we exist. And that's what we're going after. Let's pray. Father, we thank you <clears throat> that you have given us an amazing calling, that you've given us an amazing mission, and that you will, by grace through us, see it done. I ask for all the ways that each of us need to take a step, whatever that is, that you would help us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us, that you would give us wisdom on how to do it, but that you wouldn't leave us alone that we would be the kind of people who truly saturate the city with your love, Jesus. We need you. We need your help. But we know that you can do more than we can ask, seek, or imagine because you've said that, Father. Take us now and do more. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To hear other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at hcbc.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast.